the Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh my God, that's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. This is your NFL Week 9 Best Bets episode. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen, joined by three Action Network experts. I'll intro them momentarily. They're going to be going through their three favorite bets for the upcoming Week 9, Sunday, Monday slate. As a reminder, you can find all of the picks from the show, as well as the Sunday six-pack with Raybon and Stucky, all logged on this account, Action Network NFL Picks. We had a marvelous, dandy Week 8, 8-4, and four, the record, Plus 10.68 units. Thank you, Mr. Brandon Anderson. Mm -hmm. The plus 750 (laughs) Niners, Rams first half, Niners full time. Amazing. So for the season, we are 40, 30, and two. That is the record. The gents joining me today, Brandon Anderson, as mentioned, uh, Anthony DeBundo. I was going to make a dumb joke and call you Anthony Charge as opposed to Vegas refund, but kind of a bad joke. See, heavy crickets. Um, Yeah. Anyway, Anthony, thanks for being here. Jill Gallant joins us. He's also the host of the Touchdown Show, which is every Sunday morning during the season, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, live on the Action app, Action HQ Twitter, uh, as well as the Action HQ YouTube page. So six teams on the bye this week. The Browns, the Cowboys, the Broncos. Yes, (laughs) Giants, Steelers, Niners. It feels repetitive, folks, but I think we got to keep hitting on the trendy stuff that's been happening in the NFL at the midway point. Underdogs are still rolling, hitting at a 57% clip, 70, 52, and one against the spread. We have favorites of seven points or more, seven games under 500 against the spread at 10 and 17. We have three of those this weekend KC minus 12 and a half against the Titans. The Bills are laying 11 and a half against the Jets on the road. And the Bengals, who just came off an ugly loss on Monday night, they are laying seven and a half against the Panthers. It's the least profitable start for touchdown favorites since 2004. And unders continue to roll as well. 58% clip. It's the best start for the under through eight games in the last 20 years. The second best. Last year, 68-56-1 and one against the number through eight games. Okay, housekeeping is over. Before we get to the best bets, we want a sentence to describe the week nine betting card. Brandon Anderson, what comes to mind? Yeah, we're halfway through the year. And for me, it's an oldie but a goodie. Buy low, sell high. Look for spots where you can invest when things are cheap and get out when it is expensive. Jill Gallant. Find something else to do at 4 p.m. Eastern because I don't think schedule makers anticipated what these matchups were going to be and how they were going to play out by week nine because Rams Buccaneers on paper looked like it was going to be an awesome matchup. I'm not sure if anybody's going to even want to watch it. The total set of 42 and a half. It could just be a slog fest. Very much a frozen pizza style of afternoon. For yeah, somebody. we're going to hear a lot of uh, Tony Romo. I don't know, Jim. I don't know what to do here, Jim. What do we do? 
yeah, a lot of confusion, I think, in that game based on how those two teams are trending. Anthony DeBundo, what do you have for us? My week blues. We've got six teams out of action. We've got three games this week with a 10-point spread. There's not that much of a competitive board this week for exciting games. And like Joe mentioned, the best game on paper coming into the season has not lived up to the hype. And I know Brandon will be watching the Seahawks anyway, so at 4 o'clock. Yeah, so right. you can watch you can watch Philly's highlights in the meantime. Um, we might have a game home run highlights with all these bye weeks. Okay, let's get to our first best bet of the day. It will come from Brandon Anderson. As a reminder, these guys have not consulted each other before making these picks and logging them in our Google Doc. So we might have overlap. We might have contradictions. We welcome all of it. Every man for himself. Brandon, start us off. I think you're taking us somewhere really tropical and beautiful. <laughs> Somewhere we all know and love, Seattle Island. We are back. Seahawks plus two in Arizona. You think you traveled to Arizona for the for the winter, but let's just stay at Seattle Island the whole time. Look, let's do this again. We've been on Seattle Island for a few weeks now, and it's going well. Seattle has three straight double-digit wins. They beat the Giants. That's a playoff team. They beat the Chargers. That's a playoff team. And they beat these Cardinals, the team that they're playing three weeks ago. 19 to nine, six of those points weren't even scored by the offense. Arizona scored a field goal on the opening drive. And then not again, the whole rest of the game, six turnovers, six sacks. It was ugly. And now we're still making Arizona the favorite again. I, I appreciate it folks. Thank you for the line. Seattle is good. How many times do we have to say it? Seattle is good. They are over the last five weeks, top six in offense and defense by DVOA. The last three weeks, they are the number one defense. That's including against Arizona. So I think the defense may have actually caught up to the offense here. And same as we said before, Arizona struggles on early downs and kind of moving the chains. They rely on Kyler Murray do some stuff for us. Seattle is the opposite. Seattle moves the ball well and number three defense on first downs. So Arizona is going to be in a rough spot all game. Seattle has shown they're going to keep things moving and Arizona, bottom five against explosive passing plays. And like we've been saying, you want Geno Smith right now and not Kyler Murray. Geno is the guy with all the good metrics. So what changed since last time? Well, you know, it is three weeks. What's different? Well, two things. Number one, DeAndre Hopkins is back. That's good. It's helpful. It's not enough for an offense that couldn't score literally after the opening drive. It's not enough to totally sway me to Arizona should win this game. And second, it is in Arizona, but Seattle has won uh, Arizona's only won one of the last nine at home in the rivalry. They're two, six and one ATS in that span. So, and of course, can't talk about Arizona without some Cliff Kingsbury stats. You guys know the drill Kingsbury as a favorite nine and 15 ATS 38%, one and four again in the division. Pete Carroll, 62% cover rate as an underdog, 18 and 10 ATS in the division. Geno Smith, good record in the division ATS. One more time, Seattle Island. Look, next week, Seattle Island moves to Germany. So we might have to take this thing abroad. We're going to Munich, maybe. But one more time here in the States as an underdog. I honestly can't believe we're still getting this underdog. Take it out plus two. Take it any plus number. Give me Seattle. Road dogs this season are also 42 and 30 overall against the spread. It's been a good year for the road dog. We're at a point now. You have the staples. That was easy button. Brandon's going to have to make a button or some sort of sounder <laughs> about the Seattle Seahawks because it is very repetitive, but he does, he does such a magical job differentiating his delivery 
I, I was I was trying to come up with like uh what sound do Seahawks make? I was gonna do like a caca or something, but I don't I don't know what bird sound I need here, and I'm not sure it's maybe it's uh the the mine mine is is that what it is? Like the the Nemo guys? I think that's what it is. Well, we'll we'll work on that. I work shop. Seahawks are also one win away from going over their win total, which was set at five and a half before the season. That's pretty amazing what Pete has done in Seattle. Okay, Joe Gallant, your first first best bet, please. Sure. So if you listen to our recap pod, you probably know where this first pick is going because I let loose a tirade on the Jaguars that I had to kind of just take a walk after the podcast where I just had to simmer down. So I'm going to take the Raiders minus one and a half versus the Jaguars, try to keep it a little more G-rated this time. And because this pick is mainly a fade of the Jags, um, they have scored 20 points in three of their last four games, uh, less than 20 points rather. And Trevor Lawrence, he just continues to make bad throws and decisions in crucial moments. Like during this Jags five-game losing streak, the defense has kind of been regressing as well. Six rushing touchdowns allowed, 135 rush yards per game. Nine touchdowns to wide receivers already this season. That's 29th in the NFL. I'm expecting a huge bounce back from Devontae Adams, who's held to just one catch last week. Now, if this spread was maybe four and a half, maybe you could talk me into the Jags covering here, but I just no longer trust Doug Peterson or Trevor Lawrence to make quality decisions when the game is on the line. I mean, they let an inept Broncos offense who couldn't do anything in London walk the field on them and score a game-winning touchdown. And also, a little highlight here, Brandon, you wrote about uh, previewing week nine on ActionNetwork.com. You highlighted teams returning from London and their opponent team totals and how they just kind of put a put a number on that defense. The Raiders team total set at 23 and a half, but opponent team totals are, are seven and two to the over in those post-London games. And all nine opponents have been tied or led in the fourth quarter in those instances. So uh, I think the Raiders are pretty much just going to roll here. Now, from a touchdown perspective, I would say I do like the idea of a Zay Jones revenge game touchdown if you can get it over plus 200 odds for the Jags. Jacksonville just 3-13 and 13 against the spread in their last 16 games. We talked about this, and you're right, Jill. Brandon's been on this. The, the no rest after London, that is a choice. That is a choice these teams made before the season. You could have opted to go into a bye. That is not the case for Jacksonville. So even though the Raiders have to travel cross-country for this game, uh, there's still a lot of travel going on on the Jacksonville side. They're, they're second home, which is uh, which is London. Anthony DeBundo, welcome to the pod. First best bet, please. I'm going with the Detroit Lions plus three and a half at home against the Green Bay Packers. If you pull up the chart for defenses in the National Football League on RBSDM.com, everybody's relatively squenched in the middle. You have a few outliers, you know, Denver, Philadelphia, Dallas on the good end. And then you have on the one end, there is one extreme outlier, and it is the Detroit Lions. They have been incredibly bad defensively. We watched it last week at home against the Miami Dolphins. They had no answers for all of the explosive receiving options that the Dolphins have, and Tua was able to just sit back there and pick this team apart. I don't think they're going to have the same problems against this Green Bay offense. Jared Goff, historically much better indoors, much better at home. Statistically, PFF grade 10 points better when he's not under pressure. Green Bay's pressure rate about league average. The thing that the thing that's going to be important here for the Detroit offense is that the Green Bay defense is the worst in the league on standard downs. They are 32nd, even worse than the Lions in success rate, which means that Detroit will be able to run the ball. They'll be able to stay ahead of the chains. They're not going to force Goff 
into being a hero on obvious passing down situations, particularly often. And I know that the Lions have disappointed everybody this season, but Green Bay's offense has not been consistent enough to get margin here. One, one metric I like to look at, offensive series success rate. How often do your, does your offense convert a series of first down into another first down to continue the drive? It's pretty predictive generally. Lions in the top 10, Green Bay just slightly below league average. So I'm getting the better offense, catching three and a half points at home. And the Lions defense, as bad as it's been, we've had conversations about other defenses in this league whether it's Atlanta when they were getting embarrassed at various points of the season or even Seattle defense tends to regress toward the mean in the long run. They cannot stay this bad forever. And so I'm banking on a bit of a dead cat bounce from the Lions defense, getting up at home in a divisional game against Rogers who let's face it has taken a step back this season. I don't think it's just the weapons. I think the whole offense is taking a step back and he's making more mistakes than he did in years past. Do you know the name of the new secondaries coach in Detroit? Off the top of my head, I don't. I don't either. I don't think it matters. That was my point. It doesn't matter. Uh, it no. does. <laughs> I mean, it, defenses go through these periods where they're really bad sometimes, and like the personnel's not good. Jeff Akuda's, I think, really good. I mean, he looked, he got exposed a little bit last week, but a lot of that had to do with the fact that there's just too many options in Green in, in Miami to try to cover them all. I think it was more encouraging to me. One, Akuda played pretty well in the Dallas game, uh, and he is seeming to be improving could help take away what is already a pretty mediocre receiving core for the Packers. The biggest surprise for me is Lions haven't been able to uh, pass protect or run the ball as well as I thought they would coming into the season. But against this Green Bay front, this could be the game where they get right offensively. Five straight losses for the Lions straight up. They've lost four straight against the spread for the first time since 2017. They are five and 19 straight up in their last 24 games at home but the Packers have lost four straight as well. So something's got to give at Ford Field this weekend. Let's go back to Brandon Anderson for his second pick. Well, something does got to give, and I hate to do it, but I got to just come right back at DeBundo. His debut pick, he's already 0 for 1, guys, because the Green (laughs) Bay Packers minus 3.5 at the Lions is my second pick. He's right. This is a buy low spot. Got the wrong team, though. We're buying low on the Packers. After four straight losses, and look, I think we all expected, I did myself, I, I said a month ago, a Packers Super Bowl ticket, this is the spot. Boy, I don't feel great about that one right now, but part of the logic was, okay, look at this upcoming scratch. We got the Giants, we got the Jets, we got Washington, Green Bay's going to start piling up all these wins. Well, it turns out those teams are all 500 or better, like everyone in the East Divisions, and the Packers, they lost to all of them, but... Green Bay is now 0-5 against teams 500 or better, but 3-0 against teams below 500. And I can't believe DeBondo is trying to tell us that teams regress to the mean and using the Lions as the example. The Lions haven't been meaningful in the NFL since like the 1957 championship game, and that's the team coming back to the mean. This team is terrible. They're worst in defense. They're worst against the pass. They're 30th against the run, which is apparently a compliment for the Lions defense. The Packers defense, not good, not a lot better. But the difference to me is the offense. And I like Aaron Rodgers better than Jared Goff. I'm just going to put that out there. I'll take Rodgers rather than Goff, even regressed Rodgers this season. And Packers defense, pass defense, has been pretty good. Number six in DVOA, pass offense and rush offense, both top 10 in DVOA. I think 
We're underestimating a little bit the Packers offense just because the schedule has been difficult. The defense they faced have been pretty good. So I like the Packers here. And I think, too, the key thing is the number because this is a spot I would have expected to probably have to be on the lines here, but I would have thought the line was going to be something like Packers minus six. And it's like, oh, man, Detroit, they're pretty good at home. They can score a lot. The back door will be open. I feel much better down at minus three and a half, maybe minus three if it inches back a little bit. And then all the Rodgers trends, division favorite, 64% cover rate, one score favorite, 64%, one score favorite against Detroit, eight and a three against the spread. And then after a loss under LaFleur, 11 and two ATS. And I know this year, none of the trends matter anymore, right? Well, legacy trends go to die. Yes. What's that? It's the year where legacy trends go to die. It it has been a rough year for legacy trends. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Yeah, the the legacy trends have not been great this year, but these trends, they've been much worse for guys like Brady and Russell Wilson. For Rodgers, they're still kind of around 500 on these. And if that's the downswing, I still feel pretty good about them. The key thing for me is this. Do I think the Packers are a Super Bowl team? I do not. Do I think the Packers are good? I do not. All I have to know for this game is, are they better than the Lions? And I do believe they're better than the Lions. I will take the minus three and a half on the road. I will say I took Detroit plus four at home against Miami last week. And so, and I think that the Miami is clearly better than Green Bay at this point. So I would be a coward if I didn't go back on the train and bet the Lions. (laughs) So I'm happy to ride with the Lions and maybe Dan Campbell will cook up a backdoor for me if it's not looking great and we'll lose by three. Do you just want pain? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the Green Bay defense has also been bolstered up. I mean, let's consider the last four quarterbacks they've played, right? I mean, they played Bailey Zappi. Yes, he's great, but like, no, he's not. Uh, And then they played Zach Wilson, Danny Dimes, Taylor Heineke. Okay, yes, they played Josh Allen, but like this is, they have, they played Justin Fields. Like they haven't played a good number of quarterbacks. Not saying that Jared Goff is some world beater, but this Detroit offense has been very good. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in the lines again. Not, not saying Jared Goff is a world beater, but are saying that I'd take Jared Goff's offense over Aaron Rodgers. Just clarifying. It's, it's, it's not beating worlds, just beating Aaron Rodgers. We'll see how it goes. Everybody love everybody! Well, look, Brandon is fading the public. According to the Action app right now, Detroit getting 75% of the money, 55% of the bets. And the, and the staggering thing about this Green Bay team, minus 450 going into the year to uh, win the division and now they're at plus 180 to win the nfc north let's move it along to jill gallant who has a pick as well in the nfc north yeah so we're going to be looking at the vikings commanders game and i haven't had a huge luck with totals so far but i still look at this total i think it's a couple points low we're going to take the over 43 and a half for vikings commanders and brandon again i'm not trying to uh demerit the Vikings for their six and one record. I know we can harp about how hollow it may feel, but I don't know if we can really deny how well the Vikings offense has played this season. I I'm very impressed still with that offense. Even if Kirk cousin is yet to throw for 300 yards, the Vikings are still putting up just under 25 points per game. And the average combined score in Vikings games, specifically from week three onward during this win streak is 51.2. Now the commanders 
They've given up 14 passing touchdowns already this season. That is kind of the, the weakness in their defense. And I think we can bank on Minnesota to at least do their part in this total. And I think we could see a big Jefferson game. Like he hasn't caught a touchdown since week one. Um, the big reason why I like the over though is because of the Vikings defense, which is bottom five and passing yards allowed per game. A guy like Taylor Heineke can get off on this kind of defense to be able to throw it to the Curtis Samuels and the, the Terry McLaurins of the world. And if the Vikings get up early, I think they're susceptible to some garbage time points scored by the, the commanders, especially the way that just happened uh, last week against the Cardinals. So like I was saying, I think this total is about a point and a half short. I think it should be around 45 and a half. If it was over 45 and a half, I might not play it, but I feel like a 43 and a half, nice little sweet spot and we can get the over 44. And who is that touchdown against? That suspect Green Bay Packers defense, right, Debundo? <laughs> Damn right. That's a cheap shot. <laughs> back to Anthony, back to you. What's your uh, second best bet? I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans under 46 and a half. Uh, Titans voodoo has burned me repeatedly throughout the past two seasons. Uh, and I am really tired of, of going against this team. Uh, Vrabel has been excellent as an underdog in the past. I don't really see how Tennessee is able to consistently score in this game. Their offense looked lifeless against Houston. I know they ran for a thousand yards, but they still only scored 17 points and the late touchdown to get to 17. So this offense has been really, you know, that's the, that's the thing about, you know, the modern NFL is when you run the ball as much as, as Tennessee wants to run the ball, they only attempted one pass in the first quarter of the game against Houston then you're going to have a hard time putting up big point totals, especially when you play like Tennessee, who is dead last in the league in pace, 31st in first half pace, 32nd in second half pace. Tennessee has also been the best offense in the league on script this year, first quarter. I wrote about this a few weeks ago. Like they're the number one offense in the first two drives when they're able to script out what they want to do, get Derrick Henry on some created screens, get him out in space. But after that, they've been terrible. They had their first touchdown in the fourth quarter all season last week and the week before against Indianapolis when they kicked a field goal, that was their first points in the first, in the fourth quarter this season. So there's all kinds of problems. They have no receivers whatsoever. Kansas city's run defense isn't as bad as people think. I don't, you know, they're right below league average. So it hasn't, it's not as bad as it was uh, in, in the last couple of years. So I'm encouraged by what I've heard, what I've seen from the Kansas city run defense enough to at least contain Henry even if you can't necessarily stop him, they're going to load up the box. I'm sure. And I don't see how Tennessee scores enough here to keep up with Kansas city. And in the second half, this is the interesting thing about the chiefs. They're seventh in pace in the first half. They like to move pretty quick, but then they just shut it down. So if they're up double digits here, we're going to see a very slow pace in the second half. Kansas city is bottom half of the league in pace in the second half. So playing with the lead, which I expect them to have, they're probably just going to shut it down move on the next week with the, with a pretty comfortable win. I like under 46 and a half. Titans are two and five to the over this year. Kansas city is four and three in those spots. Of course, we're familiar with these two teams meeting in the playoffs every once in a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, all the trends tell you to maybe stay off Kansas city on the spread, but like you said, get in there, get out uh, feeling healthy and uh, making it out, surviving and advancing. Okay, final bet from each of you. We'll go to Brandon first. I'm going to go back to the NFC North. Let's complete the quartet. We did Packers-Lions. We did Vikings. Let's go for the Bears. I will take my hometown or, or home suburban area town, Chicago Bears, plus four and a half to defend the home field against the Miami Dolphins. So I was on Miami last week. 
this is now a buy low and a sell high spot. So sell high on Miami. They're five and zero with Tua. They just got the big splashy trade for Bradley Chubb, Jeff Wilson, and everyone's excited about Miami right now. The Bears traded away Roquan Smith. They traded away Robert Quinn, looking to the future. The future might be sooner than we think because guess what? They found out that Justin Fields is allowed to run and pass the ball. It's crazy. They allowed their quarterback to do the things he's good at, and they're kind of fun and a little decent lately. The Bears scored 33 and 29 points the last two weeks. The Bears, their totals were barely hitting that. In both sides combined, Mm -hmm. they're suddenly scoring now, and Miami doesn't get good pressure on the quarterback. That's Chicago's weakest spot is their pass blocking, so that gives Fields maybe a little more time to do some things. And the Bears' defense is awful against the run, not something Miami really does that well. They're all right against the pass, and especially they haven't really given up many explosive passing plays. So I think the matchup kind of gives a few problems here for what Miami does best. And then there's the home road splits. Miami's defense at home, 10th this season, on the road, dead last. They've allowed at least 27 points in all four road games. We mentioned the Dolphins-Lions game last week. The Lions just kept putting up points. They could Miami could do nothing to stop them. And then Chicago, number seven defense at home versus 31st on the road. So they get the home advantage here. They're a much better defense in the second half. We've talked about how Miami kind of pours it on late once that speed factor gets there. So I think the Bears keep it close. They hang around. And then one other thing you always got to keep your eye on, special teams. The Dolphins are the worst special teams unit in the league. The Bears are top three on special teams by DVOA. So that's one of those hidden things you don't really notice right up until you missed an extra point and you got a punt blocked and you shanked one out of bounds. And it's just, it's a spot where the Bears just keep getting these little tiny advantages all games. And I think they add up. So talked about the year underdog underdogs between three and 10 points this year. Now 41 and 21 against the spread 66% cover rate. If both the teams miss the playoffs, 79%. If the total is 47 or below like this one, 71%. This is a great spot for the underdog. So uh, I'm going to play Chicago. It has dropped. It was five and a half. It's dropped down to four and a half. I don't mind that too much. That's kind of a dead zone anyway. And what it does tell me is that a few other betters out there are also starting to notice that, you know what, let's get some value on Chicago here. Moneyline underdogs, by the way, of 180 or longer like this one, 16, 24, and one straight up this year, 34% ROI. So I like the Dolphins. I don't like the spot for them. I will take Chicago to cover. I'm going to play the money line too at plus 190. Let's just see what the Bears can do. Yeah, I think the home road splits is a great call because we talked so much about early in the season, Miami reaping the benefits of the heat, being at home, and they can take advantage of that spot. Training camp, uh, preseason games, they, they, they get that advantage in that spot. It's also, there's a chance of wind and rain in the forecast this weekend. And look, I know Tua takes a lot of crap from the national media. Is he all that good? He's going to enter that same territory. I get the sense that Jalen Hurts was in last year when they lost to Tampa in the playoff game. Like, can Tua win a playoff game? Tua's already talking about the Super Bowl, and that's cool. Like, I think confidence is a big thing, but pump the brakes a little bit. You're five and three through eight weeks. Uh, you're not you're not Buffalo right now. You're not Kansas City. So I felt a little premature. They're talking, and just to read the quote, I think through OTAs and through training camp, we could see the potential that we had a team offensively and defensively that we're not afraid to talk about Super Bowls here. I mean, 
good for you feeling that way, but uh, maybe a look ahead spot. I, I, I do think that the net that, that after the trade, they're feeling good about themselves as they should, but they could still very well win the game, but the bears have been competitive. That's for sure. Let's go to Jill second uh, part of me. Last best bet. That's right. Yeah. And we took Patriots minus two and a half against the jets last week. I mm-hmm. uh, was similar thinking, and we're going right back to the well, we're taking Patriots minus four and a half versus the Colts. Uh, the Colts, uh, again, not trying to bully you, Anthony. I, it's the first time back on the show. I don't really want to just start harping on why this team isn't good. But at the same time, since the Jonathan Taylor injury in week four, man, like this offense has just sunk to another level. Like outside of that miraculous comeback versus the Jags, they've averaged a robust 12.3 points per game. They really can't move the ball. In that same four-game stretch, they've only averaged 16 first downs per game. To put that in perspective, like the league average is 20.3. If that was a full season average, they'd be 31st in the NFL. Now you're essentially putting a rookie quarterback in Sam Ellinger, not Ellinger, as I've been corrected, on the road in Foxborough. That sounds like a recipe for disaster, and especially because, yes, this is his second year in the league, but I'm viewing him as a rookie quarterback because this is his second official start. Bill Belichick is 10-4 and against the spread at home when facing rookie quarterbacks in this spot. Now the Colts... They were already one of the most sacked teams in the league and allowing pressure. Now the Patriots, what do they do? They're top five in sacks and they're top five in interceptions as well. Uh, the Colts as well. They don't really have as many check down options anymore, especially Jonathan Taylor, who was held out of practice again on Thursday. Naheem Hines is now in Buffalo. I think Sam Ellinger is going to look shell-shocked. I think the big if, if Mac Jones doesn't turn the ball over, I don't really see how the Colts keep this game within a touchdown. That is a big if, though. Now, I wanted to cite a couple of trends from our own Evan Abrams uh, in his weekly NFL primer uh, on ActionNetwork.com. Like, in the last 20 years, after facing the Jets, the Patriots and Bill Belichick are 28-9 and straight up and 24-12-2 and and against the spread since 2016, so over the last six years. 10-1 and straight up, 9-2 and against the spread. And the total is kind of moving right now, but when the total is at 40 or lower – Belichick is 31, 10, and one against the spread, a 76% cover rate over the last 20 years. So I just think there's too many factors playing against the Colts in this matchup. I'm going to take the Patriots as long as they're right at this line here at four and a half. Just a narrative too. Belichick won't let this group get complacent after what happened in that Bears game Monday night, coming off a nice win against a piss poor team like the Lions. We've talked about the Lions quite a bit. Then you lay an egg against Chicago on Monday night. Mm-hmm it feels like it'll be buttoned up. That's for sure. But yeah, Mac Jones, take care of the ball and just, just kick field goals in this game. Like the Patriots, Nick Folk is a freaking weapon. He might be their best player. All right, Debundo, take us home. Yeah, I, I see the case for the, the, the Patriots defense shutting down the Colts, but I actually think the Colts defense is going to have a lot of success in this game as well. Mm. So I'm on the under 40 and a half. It opened 42 and it's come down a little bit. Colts, DeForest Buckner had, I thought, his best game of the season last week after going back and rewatching it. He looks as healthy as he's looked all season. And the combination of him and Grover Stewart makes the Colts a really difficult team to run on. And we've seen that their defensive line is finally healthy. They are uh, top seven in both rushing success rate allowed and rushing DVOA. So I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to run the ball in this game. And I really don't think I think Mac Jones is actually much closer of a quarterback to what we've seen this year than what we did last season. The regression seems real for him. They're not able to push the ball down the field. He's 25th in EPA per play. It's a big concern. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, the line is suggesting he may play now. It has, it has come a little bit up in the total. It jumped up from back up to 40 and a half. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it matters whether he plays or not because the Colts offensive line 
probably of all the units in all of football, the most shocking to me is how unable the Colts have been to run the football this year, because I expected as a, as a fan and as a better to, to be able them to be able to bank on the running game being at least complacent or, or competent, but it has not been, they are uh, bottom eight in success rate. So there, there's just a big red flag here because you can run on new England, but I don't think the Colts are going to be able to run on anybody, any NFL team, maybe not even the lions. Uh, so it's hard to picture how the Colts are able to move the ball here. And you talked about Belichick against rookies. That trend, you, you can just see how it plays out, right? They, they get pressure. They force mistakes. They give him looks that he's never seen before. I love that Ellinger met with Stefan Gilmore before the game this week and, and said, tell me everything you know about Bill Belichick's defense. But I think there's a good chance he's going to be seeing ghosts by the end of this game. He actually had a good second half. Like I thought Ellinger actually showed some signs of life on the rewatch when I went back and watched it, but uh, I'm still not a believer in him, not a believer in this offense. And I think this is going to be a, a drag it out type low scoring game. Yeah, I'll chime in. I kind of want to jump in with both of you guys on this one. I like Patriots first half here for a lot of the same reasons you both just said. Uh, I like the Colts are not a good first half team to bundle. You've written about that before their last offensively. The defense is worse in the first half as well. Patriots defense is second in the first half. And yeah, that's that Ellinger thing. Ellinger, of course, I, I'm the one that, that messes it up. So Ellinger on the road, first start on the road here. And I think first half, you know, maybe like you said, DeBundo, he did settle in toward the end of the game, but you get the first half, you get it before he has a chance to kind of adjust and catch his breath a little bit. I think Belichick comes out with some surprises, you know, oh, Stefan Gilmore, you, you told him everything, huh? Well, I got a couple other tricks up my sleeve. So I think I like the first half plus that way too. Even with the line falling, Jill, you get under the key number if you play just the first half and have to worry about the back door and that sort of thing. So I'm with you guys. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think I'd rather just take the first half and then get out of there. And no worries, Brandon. That's why we gave you the last name uh, Smith on Seahawks Island to keep it simple for you uh, <laughs> for Geno purposes. Colts. Yeah. Colts are 0 and 8 against the first half spread this season. They have lost 10 straight first half spreads dating back to last year. Um, some other notes you both, it's, it's you both so bizarre. What's that? It's bizarre. They, they, they went, they went from a good team on the script. I mean, they scored like every, every, every drive the last two years under Phil rivers and Carson Wentz, yep. they were scoring on the first drive this year, nothing. Uh, and Matt it's, it's, it's strange. Uh, and you know, they did just fire their offensive coordinator, Frank Reich's taking over the play calling again and, and running the offense. I don't really think it matters. I think it really comes down to one. They need to fire the offensive line coach, but I think it really comes down to the regression up front and them not being able to fade it. Like they can't overcome that. So I think the Patriots, I think both D lines are going to feast. And uh, the Colts seven and one to the under this year, four and zero to the under on the road. So we, uh, oh, and by the way, last note, Jonathan Taylor, not present at practice Thursday. So that is something to monitor for potential line movement. I would imagine if he's playing Jill quickly to go back to your total pick, what, or sorry, Anthony had the total pick. Would you suggest if we get word on Taylor, could that number rise or is that probably already baked in? I would imagine 41 right? is a key number. So you yeah. could sit, you could sit around and, and maybe try to get a 41. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm, I'm a member of the RBSDM community. The running backs don't really matter community. So <laughs> I don't, I don't personally care. I mean, the Colts didn't have Taylor or Hines uh, in, in the game against Jacksonville and uh, some guy they pulled off the street, Deion Jackson. Uh, yeah. went off and, and had their best receiving and rushing game of the season for any player on the team. So uh, it, it doesn't matter for me whether Taylor plays or not. 
Uh, obviously he's a good running back. He's talented, but he has not looked the same this year. And, and a, he's clearly not going to be hundred percent. He was banged up the last couple of games that he's played and has not been nearly as effective. Uh, I know there's a lot of fantasy owners that are blame out on me uh, as a Colts fan. So for his underperformance. Before we wrap up, get the picks recapped and also uh, wrap up the show. We are going to look ahead quickly to week number 10 to see if we like any numbers now before any adjustments following Sunday's action. Brandon Anderson, look ahead line for week 10. What do you have? I like the Steelers plus two and a half at home against the Saints next week. You hear that right away, you know, this is a rah-rah Mike Tomlin spot. So Steelers, they don't play this weekend. The Steelers finally get a week off. They needed it. Kenny Pickett gets a chance to gel with the offense, kind of figure things out. He got thrown into the fire mid-game when they just said they weren't going to play him. And then has had a really tough time schedule-wise. He's had four starts for them. Came on the road against Buffalo, Philly, and Miami. Three really good teams. So his defense has been getting lit up. And the week off should help the defense, too. That secondary gets a little time to heal. T.J. Watt starting to practice. He might be back for this one. You get the defensive player of the year back. That certainly is good news, especially against a shaky offensive line. And they get whoever it is, the Saints decide to put at quarterback for this one. So I think it's a good spot to grab the Steelers. Saints perception right at this moment, pretty high. They just beat the Raiders 24-0. When was the last time anybody even thought about the Saints before that game? They've been a complete afterthought on the season. Now they're road favorites here. Andy Dalton, James Winston, road favorites. I don't really see it. Dalton is 9-16 and 16 against the spread in games. That obviously is the spot that he's in on Monday night here. He's 3-11 and 11 on the road there. Jameis Winston, if it's him and stuff, they go Jameis. 13-23 and 3 ATS and toss-ups. 8-18-1 as a favorite. So whoever it is at quarterback, give me Taysom Hill. I don't care. It's not going to be a good quarterback here. I'd rather have Kenny Pickett at home, to be totally honest, with a week to prepare, settle in a little bit. And then the old Mike Tomlin stats, you guys know, Tomlin as an underdog, week five forward, 39-16-1 ATS, 71%. But when you get him at home, it's not often. Home underdog, Mike Tomlin, 14-2-1 ATS, covered nine straight, one seven in a row as an underdog, 13-4 and four outright as home underdog in Mike Tomlin's career, nearly a 100% ROI on the money line. So I like the Steelers plus two and a half. I like the money line. I see a plus 125. I don't think this was going to move a ton over the weekend. The Steelers aren't playing, but the Saints do play Monday night against the Ravens. The Ravens are pretty good. And if the Ravens come out and kind of drop the hammer on the Saints and everyone goes, oh, right, this was a team we hated the whole rest of the season. We're just thinking well of them right now then I do think this can move. And like we said, two is kind of a key number now as well. So I'll just grab Steelers plus two and a half. Make sure I get that rah-rah underdog spot. Speaking of that Baltimore-New Orleans game, we just got word from St. Coach Salon that in all likelihood, it's uh, no go for Michael Thomas the rest of the season be out due to due to injury. He's been so out for a few games. weeks. So many yeah. games. Hey, Jill, before we go real quick, I would imagine with the trade of Claypool, it could be maybe picket picking season going on there. Some any touchdown uh, score situations. Absolutely. I think the uh, it's the odds that you have to monitor because generally sure. where he was in the pecking order, he was third. So he would probably be getting like plus 300 to plus 350 odds. Now yep. moving into wide receiver two spots. 
you're probably not going to see him better than plus 200. And it may be more if Kenny Pickett struggles like in that game against New Orleans, where we're just maybe not getting any offensive production, but he's so talented now and being able to get the, you know, the cornerback to more likely because Deontay Johnson is going to be facing off in that matchup. Likely uh, he could go off in that game, especially if, if Marshawn Lattimore is still out. Mm-hmm. Maybe some Steven Sims, Miles Boykin love forward, some longer shots. We will see. That's why we do this every week, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to our NFL Week 9 Best Bets episode. Recap the picks. Brandon Anderson is on Seahawks Island. What a surprise. Plus two against the Cardinals on the road. He looks Green Bay minus three and a half against Detroit. And he's on the Bears, plus four and a half, a home dog against the Dolphins. Jim likes the Vegas Raiders, minus one and a half against Jacksonville. He's on the Minnesota-Washington over, 43 and a half points. And he likes the Patriots to cover against Indy at home, minus four and a half. Anthony DeBunda's debut picks. He's on the Lions. He's going against Brandon. On the Lions, plus three and a half against Green Bay. KC, Tennessee, under 46 and a half. And he's on New England Indy, except he likes the under 40 and a half points. That's going to do it for the Action Network podcast for our NFL Week 9 Best Bets episode. We are presented by FanDuel. Thanks to Brandon Anderson, Joe Gallant, Anthony DeBundo. Thanks for sliding in this week for Vegas Refund. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen. Best of luck with all of your bets this weekend. We will see you again Monday morning for the recap show right here on the Action Network podcast.